Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. Welcome back to Word Made Digital season four. Let's go. We got preachers and sneakers on the episode today, and I have uh, really just, I'm pumped about the lineup of conversations we're going to be having over the next number of weeks of season four. We got about 15 episodes coming at you. And my goodness, the world has changed. The world has changed since uh, since season three kind of wrapped up in the wintertime. Wow, like coronavirus, COVID-19 stuff everywhere. Hey, if uh, you haven't thought the word word was made digital before, it certainly is all digital all the time for so many of us now. So we're asking lots of new questions. We're discovering new things as the global church, aren't we? And we're all struggling and wrestling through a lot of the same questions, theologically, uh, practically, and more. So hey, I created for you a private Facebook group. It's called Digital Church, the Facebook group is called Digital Church. And if you want to join, you can check it out. Find it on Facebook. Search for Digital Church on Facebook. You'll find it. You'll probably find some other leaders you know who are interested in talking about what does it look like when the word is made digital. We're talking about discipleship, evangelism, practical things like church services and technical stuff and how to make all that happen. Love you to join the group. Just uh, hit, hit in there, you know, wherever it says to request to be a member. There's a quick question you can answer, uh, a few questions you can answer, and then we'll um, make sure you can join the group. Would love for you to join this community as we grow and just share with leaders all over the world. It's a global community, growing global community online to connect around all things digital church and Word Made Digital. So, hey, you know, thanks again to, of course, my my sponsors and partners who make this possible. Compassion, again, is coming alongside for season four, and what a timely thing it is for us to be talking about that. You know, for children living in extreme poverty, everything about COVID-19 is just magnified, right? There's risk and fear and uncertainty and it's life and death realities. Together though, we can rise up and protect the world's really most vulnerable people and provide desperately needed food, housing stability, hygiene supplies. Survival depends on it for so many people right now. And so Compassion is just leaning in. They're trying to combat COVID-19, providing consistent and steady presence of the local church in these communities. And they're faithfully serving. They've done it before and they want to do it again, but now the need is just greater than ever. If you're feeling overwhelmed, imagine how other people are feeling around the world. That doesn't make less of what we're going through. Of course, we're going through something too. I encourage you if you're uh, wanting to reach out and wondering, what can I do to help? You know, I've been talking to people all over US, UK, Canada, Australia, Europe. Everybody's wondering what to do about this. Well, Compassion Canada has a disaster relief fund. If you go to compassion.ca slash COVID, you can donate today. If you're looking to make a tangible difference in the lives of children and families in extreme poverty, you're impacted by this pandemic in a major, major way. The need is urgent. Would love for you to do that. Compassion.ca slash COVID. Of course, you can always uh, check out the link in my uh, podcast description below and do that. Also, thanks. A big shout out to Wycliffe College who've come alongside for season four. Love these guys. They're an evangelical graduate school of theology. They're located at the University of Toronto, but of course, everything's online right now. They've always had online courses, but now uh, so much is available flexibly for you online. You can get a certificate, master's, doctoral, doctoral program, a conjoint degree with the University of Toronto. So you're getting a degree from 
one of the top universities in the world. Uh, I right now am actually helping to teach a course called Church and Technology. It's an online course they do every spring. It's always online, but right now it's just so timely. The conversations we're having are rich and challenging us theologically, historically, what the view of the church is, looking futuristically about where the church is going. It's an amazing conversation. I encourage you if you're looking to learn and grow and get some credit, some university credit along the way, seminary credit along the way. Why not? All right, wickliffcollege.ca slash digital. Link in the bio, link in the show notes for more about that. Okay, today's conversation, Preachers and Sneakers. They've been featured in New York Times and Esquire and BuzzFeed and Fox News and so, so many more. If you Google Preachers and Sneakers, you're gonna see all kinds of articles written about this because it's an Instagram account that just blew up in the last year and it features pastors and other prominent church leaders who have you know prominent followings of their own, but it's saying how much, particularly their sneakers, but also other stuff that they wear on stage in front of people, how much it's worth. So they're literally just without um, all the commentary, they're literally just posting pictures of people you may know or follow their preaching and teaching and how much the shoes are, the belt is, the jacket is. It's, it's a conversation today about ministry and money. It's sort of this existential thing that Preachers and Sneakers has brought to us around questions of really the morality of it. Should preachers have expensive stuff? Is it okay that they have it? it? It's it's a question I think we should wrestle with. It's a question I think that this Preachers and Sneakers account has caused us to kind of be uncomfortable with or have a big, at least we're going to have a strong reaction to the account. If you haven't checked it out before, you're going to enjoy this conversation and you're going to want to deep dive into the account. And if you have before, if you are a follower of Preachers and Sneakers already, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are following. Um, you're going to want to lean in as I'm talking to the guy who created it as he wrestles through this himself. All right, so check out the conversation now with Preachers and Sneakers. Welcome to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. You're listening to Season 4, sponsored by Compassion Canada and Wycliffe College. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go. Preachers and sneakers, Tyler, thank you so much for joining Word Made Digital today. I'm so glad to have this conversation with you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk with you, Joanna. <laughs> so, I mean, we got to start with the, you know, the the big picture of this. Like for, for those who are not familiar with Preachers and Sneakers, can you give us a bit of the origin story? Let's start there and tell us how this came to be. Yeah. So a, about a year ago, I was uh, a nobody. I mean, I'm still a nobody, but a year ago, I was a double nobody and uh, was on my couch watching YouTube worship videos because that's how much time I had on my hands and uh, noticed one, a worship leader wearing some Yeezy sneakers that I knew were worth around $800. And that stirred something within me to post an Instagram story about it. And I uh, 
posted a funny video basically saying how much are they paying worship leaders at Elevation that they could afford $800 Yeezys. And then I posted a few other videos because I realized there were a lot other lot of other pastors and worship leaders that would wear the same kind of thing. And this is on my personal Instagram. Uh, still is back in March of 19. And then I had a buddy text me. He was like, hey, you should make an account of just that kind of stuff. And I uh, wrote him off for a few days and because uh, he thought it would be this big viral thing. I was like, dude, nobody cares. Like, I don't even care that much. I just thought it was kind of ridiculous that some of these guys are wearing super expensive kicks. Um, but eventually I made the account. The name came to me pretty quickly because it rhymed. And uh, I created the Preachers and Sneakers handle. I copied over those videos that I made previously. And then within four weeks, I went from zero to 100,000 followers without doing anything differently other than just uh, reposting pictures of uh, notable pastors' pictures and then putting the price tag of what their shoes were worth right next to it. And people lost their minds about it, both positive and negative. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, so you, this was something you did almost like out of, it sounds like it was almost out of your own hobby. Do you, what's your context for knowing about sneakers? Yeah. Like, I have a huge collection. Like, I mean, I, I like sneakers, but you seem to have like the inside awareness. Like I wouldn't be watching that guy and know the price of his shoes, but how do you know about that stuff? Yeah. I, uh, up to that point, I had been interested in sneakers for maybe three or four years beforehand. And I had kind of dabbled in buying and reselling limited edition sneakers that I could get my hands on kind of as like a side hustle entrepreneurial thing. And so once you kind of get into that world and get interested into some of the nuance, it's pretty easy to identify some of the more uh, high valued sneakers. Um, you know, there's very distinct characteristics. Yeah. Like, like you said, like people that aren't into the actual kind of quote unquote sneakerhead subculture wouldn't notice. Um, and I think that's partly why people were so surprised when they saw the values of some of these sneakers. They're like, Oh, I, I just thought these guys were looking hip. I didn't realize that these sneakers are worth multiple thousands of dollars on the resale market. Um, but yeah, I had, uh, I had a, uh, a friend in the NBA actually, um, years before gift me a bunch of, sneakers. and after that, I kind of got interested in the whole culture of it and then realized that, Oh, there's, there's some potential money to be made here. Um, and so I was kind of all following the sneaker Twitter and sneaker Instagram to, kind of stay up to date on that kind of thing. And so it was a, a very instant thing for me to recognize that this guy was wearing a pair of Yeezys that were very rare and worth a lot of money. Right. And, um, and so, I mean, just to continue to give us some education before we get into sort of, you know, why has this resonated with people? I'm still trying to just lay some groundwork of like how this works in the sneaker culture. Sure. Uh, you're, when you're posting pictures, you're showing that the price that they're selling for today. Uh, so it looks like there's you're using a website that is like a resale website. So help, can you help us understand like the difference between um, the price on the like the day they release versus the value that changes over time? Yeah. So generally, um, for most sneakers, Nike or Adidas will release hundreds of thousands of pairs in all different sizes all at once. And they'll be like 110 to $190. That's the retail price. And the thing about 
certain sneakers or that they're more sought after or more hyped or more anticipated than others. And in turn, people will immediately buy up all those pairs and they'll sell out within seconds. Um, so the retail price is pretty irrelevant for a lot of these types of sneakers because they're impossible to find at the retail price. So much like a stock, uh, like a share of stock is worth a certain amount when a company IPOs, it very quickly goes up or down in value based on supply and demand. So, right. uh, a lot of these sneakers are either in short supply and or in high demand. And so they'll all get bought up immediately and then will be resold on platforms like StockX or Goat, which basically shows in real time what people are, are buying and selling those pairs of sneakers for. So I use that because the because uh, I'm showing people what the sneakers are worth brand new today. Um, a lot of people assume that I am making an assumption about what people paid for them. But uh, what I'm really showing is here's how much they would be worth if you sold them today. And um, that's how I've done it since the beginning and that's how I, I still do it. With some caveats with like the the designer wear, a lot of the like the Gucci stuff or the Yves Saint Laurent stuff I post, I'll post the retail price because the retail price is exorbitant and there's uh, not many people can buy that kind of stuff. And so a lot of times it's not sold out. It's more it's easy to purchase if you have the money. So I show the retail price for that. Right. I mean, with the, yeah, with some of the stuff you're showing, like a Gucci belt or, you know, a blazer or jacket or whatever it, mm -hmm. with the shoes, it's this limited run that increases the value of the shoe immediately after it comes out. But with the, the other clothing, it's typically just that it's just an expensive item Right. Yeah. <laughs> to begin with. Yeah. 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 And it's hard, it's hard for uh, people to fathom. I think like the, kind of common person it for a lot or maybe for a lot of people it's really hard to fathom paying five hundred dollars for a belt or owning a belt that's worth five hundred dollars and not selling it to have the five hundred dollars it uh it's it's kind of a shocking thing um it's i mean it's shocking to me it's like i i i don't think i've ever had a belt worth over like thirty dollars or something like that <laughs> Um, I mean, do, do, but yeah, I so it drives an interesting wear belts very much. Right. <laughs> I mean, especially not now I wear nothing but elastic right now. <laughs> just, just a shoe, just the string from the shoes, the extra shoe string. That's, that's what's tying up your pants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, these days when, when people are, uh, you know, predominantly staying at home and have nobody to impress with their outfits. So, right. I, I mean, let, I mean, we, let's come back a little bit to what you were saying is basically totally unexpectedly. So here, that, now we've got a bit of context for the shoe sure. culture and the, you know, the value of this stuff that you're posting about. Mm -hmm. um, it blew up. Like I was one of I, I think I think I was one of the first few thousand people um, because a friend who's a mutual friend of yours and mine um, told me about it. And so that's how I found it. And as with anything, everyone starts to share it and then more and more people found it. Yeah. But like, what was that ride for you? Like, like even just like as someone managing a social media account, let alone what it's about, like how, <laughs> like suddenly like your inbox is blowing up, like what happened in those first, you know, couple weeks or couple months yeah. to your life? It, <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it was very shocking and it was, it's exciting because 
you know, you, no one ever expects something like this to go viral. I mean, I literally had just had my phone in my palm and I took some videos, made an account and started posting without any thought or any strategy or any real kind of intent for it. It was purely just to kind of make some, some of my friends laugh. Um, and then to have that thing, same thing blow up and people start to ask about your intent and your strategy behind it was really strange. Um, and it was also kind of scary because when something blows up like that, it's out of control and it's definitely out of your control. Um, and so I just, there was a lot of uncertainty and there was a lot of like, what is this? Why are people freaking out about this? Why are people getting so mad about this? Um, because all at the same time, as it was blowing up, all the news media outlets started to contact me and wanted to get an interview, which was cool. I mean, it was cool to, to talk with the times and talk with the wall street journal and Buzzfeed and all that. That was really cool. And at the same time, people go into these guys and girls churches and also some of the the people I was posting about were reaching out to me, uh, frustrated or confused or irritated or asking me to take stuff down. And so I was kind of caught in the middle place between a lot of people saying, Hey, this is a really good thing that you're doing. And then a whole other group of people saying, how could you do this? You're being divisive. You're, you know, tearing the church apart, that kind of thing. Um, it was, a it was, it, it was very much a growing experience that I'm still, uh, dealing with. But a year later, I've got a more secure look on it or more secure view on it. But at the time I was like, I don't know if this is good or bad. So it was, it was weird. It was fun. I, you know, I'm very grateful to have such a cool platform. Uh, You know, like celebrities were starting to follow me, people that I had uh, worship leaders and uh, musicians that I'd followed growing up were starting to follow me and message me and stuff. It was, it was strange because like, why I, like I know who I am and know that like, I'm just this normal, nothing person. And these people were following him and asking me about things like I was the talent, which was, you know, that was cool and interesting (laughs) and new for me. Yeah. And I mean, just in context, um, does your professional life outside of this have anything to do with social media? No, absolutely not. not. Yeah. You're not like a social media manager by profession. (laughs) No, I was, I was in the military for a long time and then I worked, uh, in corporate America for a few years. And then I, when I was creating this account, I was getting my, my MBA, my master's of business. Um, so being a full-time student, I I had a little more time on my hands so that that's how I was able to (laughs) build out some of this content. To like hunt down all the shoe prices is so good. And again, because you had an eye for it, you knew even what to look for. So yeah, like, I mean, as you yeah. said, like, um, you know, a lot of this is uh, is divisive for people. But what, uh-huh. what do you think about this is making people feel so uncomfortable, confused, conflicted? It's like it's bringing something to the surface for people. Um mm-hmm. What do, you, what do you think that is? Like, what is it about this that's yeah. resonating but uncomfortable? <clears throat> there's a lot of things at play, I think. Uh, there's one group of people that are just on the lookout for things to pile on about why they hate church or hate Christianity. Um, and then uh, – and so this is one other thing. Like, it's very easy to say, oh, these guys are clearly taking this money out of the offering plate and – funding their lifestyle. So there's one group of people that got fired up about that. There's another group that, uh, think that it's a worthy thing to ask like, Hey, what 
do I believe pastors should and shouldn't do? Uh, it it wasn't as kind of a upfront question before about like, hey, do I care about this? Do I care how this guy or girl is portraying their lifestyle on social media as somebody that follows them from afar? Uh, and then there's another group of people that uh, want to defend them and and say, like, you don't know what he or she has done for the kingdom and the world and how much money they've given away and all this and that. And um, my response to that is like, you're right. I, I don't know. All I can see is what they choose to put on Instagram. And uh, and I think the biggest part is that it was just such a shocking thing for people to realize how much all this stuff was worth or how much this stuff cost. And it forced everyone to to wrestle with how they what they believed about it or how they how they thought they uh, what their I guess what their stance on it was because they it kind of forces people to kind of choose a side and uh, it makes yeah. people mad that I kind of sit in the middle on it because I've I see merit to both sides. Um, but yeah, I think it just like a lot of things on social media, everybody gets to have their say. And when you combine all of those different pieces of commentary into one place, it can be kind of a uh, dumpster fire, as some people call it. But then the but then the larger philosophical question for me is like, well, is it generating a greater good or is it? generating a negative. And I think the greater good is that it's causing people to discern for themselves how they spend their own money and how they portray their own, their own lifestyles on social media. And also, uh, questioning the status quo, like asking of the greater big C church, like, Hey, is this the best way to communicate the gospel the way we're doing it now it's growing and it's you know it's attractive and it's different from our parents and grandparents uh way of expressing their faith but is this is this the best way to do it is is this uh can we improve on this at all or can we change this at all so it's caused all those different questions uh for me as well and i think that's a good thing yeah and i mean there's so there's so much that this scratches under the surface about big questions. As you say, like there are people who if they if they've been hurt by church, you know, maybe they've had a terrible experience or they just are, you know, angry about something in their life. Yeah. Uh, people can find something to complain about about anything. Like yeah. you know, but but there's something isn't there something more to this about like like for example what do you think the difference is between the the guy who paid the eight hundred dollars for the shoes and that would sort of imply they have that amount of disposable income regularly or uh you know they they're connected to the the guy who makes them and right. they get them for free do you think it matters is there a di like in terms of because you're either way you're wearing them yeah um and nobody knows where you got them from. Yeah. I mean, that's the answer. Uh, it, without context, all we have is what you choose to post. And so I think objectively or maybe subjectively, it doesn't matter objectively. Sure. It matters, but also it then brings up questions about your status as a public figure. Like do, since you choose to be a public figure, do people now get to make those snap judgments about you 
based on what you've chosen to post? Uh, mm -hmm. Do we, uh, as Christians, also still admonish our brothers and sisters in Christ in private, like Matthew 18 calls for, or is that tabled since they've chosen to kind of reap the benefits of being a public persona? That's those are the things I I, I wrestle with, yeah. but the 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 matter of you know whether you know the designer or not, like yeah, it's an easy thing to say. Yeah, I know the designer. I got these for free. It's like all right, um, but also then it brings up the question. It's like all right, well, are did God ever? In, I get just all these questions about the role of the pastor and the and the platform that you get by being a pastor. So like, is your role as a spiritual leader and a shepherd of a flock of Christians leading to material benefit from like, is it getting you uh, these interactions with designers that you would not have had if you weren't a pastor? Like, those are the kind of things that I think about. And I'm, I'm working through like, I don't know if that's a bad thing or not, but it's at least something yeah. I think for us to think about. Yeah. Well, some of it is um, outside of the conversation about wealth and what we do with money is the conversation about power, right? Yeah. I mean, the power that is gained from a public life, a leadership life in a church. I mean, um, you know, even in, in small churches, the, the pastor can, you know, even in a church of just a couple hundred people, the pastor can have a lot of power over people's lives, the decisions they make, yeah. Um, you know, how they spend their own money, you know, et cetera. And so, um, you know, a mentor of mine is a woman named Danielle Strickland, who's a speaker, author, and she talks about, you know, she talks in her, in, in her most recent book, she's wrestling with this idea like that. There's that expression, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, this idea that by its nature, power is corrupting. Yeah. Um, but she would argue that, well, that can't possibly that can't be true because Jesus had absolute power and was not corrupted i.e there was a, we have a model in Jesus of someone with great power mm. used it um, as a model for the rest of us in which to serve and and how to love and care for and you know I mean he obviously talks so much about money and you know yeah. this kind of stuff so so it's not just that it's not just I'm I'm trying to say it's not just power isn't uh, it's, it's, um, it's dangerous, but it doesn't have to be bad. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But in isolation, it can be, uh, pretty risky, kind of like fire, like fire in the right context yeah. is super helpful in the wrong context. It can also burn things to the ground. Uh, that's been a, a surprising thing to realize that some of these guys maybe have less of a circle that keeps them accountable or speaks into their life truthfully. And, that makes me nervous for for some of them because I I felt just a taste of having power and influence and I've had already uh, people in my community check me in a very honest and uh, direct way that had I not had that this could easily spiral into a a terrible situation for me um, so I, I'm I'm just agreeing with what you're saying I think yeah. So, I mean, what do we do with this uh, Christian celebrity culture? I mean, the fact that that even exists, that there are. And I mean, in his own way, as I've said, I've already referenced Jesus, who we look to. I mean, Jesus was in many ways a, a sort of celebrity. 
I mean, in the sense that everywhere he went, he had a reputation. People followed him around. It was hard for him to get like it was like, you know, we think the paparazzi is sort of the modern equivalent. But that there were people just like following him anywhere. It was said yeah. like he could barely eat or sleep because people followed him everywhere. So, again, like the celebrity itself versus like what we do with it. So what do you think about what are you seeing in celebrity culture and Christianity today? Yeah, uh, well, since. I believe Jesus was fully God. Uh, he was worth uh, being a celebrity. I would have yeah. followed him around too. Uh, so the yeah the the idea is there, but also everyone other than Jesus is a fallen person and probably not worth elevating uh, as much as we do. I, I think the whole celebrity culture thing within church is an indictment, for maybe lack of a better term indictment on all of us for really creating it. I mean, it's, it's, I find no fault in some of these guys and girls that are so highly revered for being really good speakers or really good worship leaders or really good artists or, or anything. I mean, God has g clearly given them those talents and they, they are, uh, oh, my chair just broke. Um, they're working in their talents but it's a bigger discussion about the people of God elevating other humans over the one that they're supposed to be pointing to. So like for the, the pastors that are celebrities because they're great pastors, uh, we really have to take a look at ourselves and why we like view them in such high regard and treat them more than any kind of regular Joe Schmo in the the street. Um, the Bible also yeah. talks a lot about favoritism, especially in the church. And I think that's, uh, a key component, but also like I am, I am, uh, a lay person, like not educated in theology or scripture. I'm do, I do my best to, to read as much as I can and study about some of these things. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's a huge cultural thing to look at. It's like, Hey, we've made there, there are pastors out there that are being followed by literally TMZ because of them being a unique pastor or the network that they keep. Um, I think it's a worthwhile thing to look at to say like, Hey, how did we get here? And what are we to do about that? I don't, I don't have a great answer for what we're to do about that, but I do think it's worth questioning if we're elevating a human over the person that they're preaching and teaching about. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, um, uh, Marshall McLuhan, a great, and this is the nerd side of me, the, you know, communications side of me. Uh, Marshall McLuhan was a, you know, thinker, writer, academic in the world of communications. And there's this famous line, he said, the medium is the message. Um, and so uh, what we see here, then we're even talking about this idea that like the medium, i.e. the human who carries it <laughs> is the message itself, that there's something about the person and what they rep choose to do and how they represent themselves yeah. that is tied to the message that they're preaching. Yeah. Um, the medium is the message. What they live and breathe is part of their message. Um, mm -hmm. So like, what do we do with that? Like what, what is the, is there a place for creative expression or is there a place for, what is the place of clothing and these material things? Maybe it's not just, it's beyond clothes, I suppose. It's the cars and the homes and, and mm -hmm. everything. But especially it's the clothes because it's what we carry every room we walk in. What is yeah. the place of that? How do, what do, you, what do we do with that? Um, yeah. 
I'm definitely not uh, against any of those things uh, by any means. I've got all those things. I have a house. I have a car. I've got nice enough clothes. Um, there, I think we're supposed to be wise about those things. Like it is impossible for me to speak into any person's situation at scale, but wisdom, uh, I think is the, the application here, wisdom and community. Uh, the church I go to here in Dallas very much puts a premium on living in very transparent community. Like you need to be living in an open and honest and transparent way with people around you that know you that can speak truth to you because any of those things can turn into a problem. So like having a big house, if that big house freaking owns you and you don't have anybody around you that to speak into that, that's a problem. Same with the shoes. Like I don't care if a a pair of shoes were actually $500. If you bought them in a way that uh, I guess financially made sense, you were also putting a priority on giving and you're putting a priority on saving and being wise financially. I could see a way that you could buy $500 shoes, but the the minute you post something wearing those shoes that are so clearly $500, that's probably when it becomes a problem because now you're in it for the status that those shoes bring you. And that's mm. vanity. Um, so any of these things are a like any of these things in a vacuum are amoral, but the moment that our hearts turn to, uh, wanting them because of what they give us status wise, that seems like a, that seems like a problem. Um, so it's, it's up to all of us to examine that thing, examine those things for ourselves. And then also if we see those in our leaders to at least ask about it, um, because if it makes, if it stirs something within you, you either have to examine why it stirs something within you, or it could be a legitimate thing to ask about. Um, so that's what I want for, for everybody. I mean, that's something I have to struggle with all the time. It's like, you know, we buy overpriced dog food because our, our dogs are our children here. Like I, we we probably don't have to buy that dog food for them or, you know, going shopping and buying shirts. Like, do I actually need a new shirt or do I actually need this super nice podcast mic? Like it, it's, uh, it's all growing in discernment and growing in kind of asking ourselves why we're buying things and the heart behind it. I think that's the, that's a big takeaway for me at least. Yeah. And there's something in it for me, I'm speaking as someone who has previously made my living from, uh, I was on a church staff for, you know, two different, I worked for two different churches and I made my living off of the donations of people in the church. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and that to me feels like a major part of the conversation that makes me uncomfortable. Um, so, so, you know, in a different direction, I remember one of my bosses, you know, who is, a who is a guy who is, you know, quite humble in how he chose to drive cars and dress and, you know, have a home and, and, you know, those kind of things. Um, and, uh, I remember teasing him one time because he'd had, I mean, this is just like a, this was like not a, this is not a humility thing. This was just like, you need a tailor. He duck, he used duct tape to, um, hem his pants on the inside rather than like, I don't know, was it like $5 to pay somebody to to, to sew your pants for the length that they need to be? (laughs) So, I mean, you know, that, that maybe is a bit of an extreme example, but, but there's this idea of, for example, if um, a family, if the the pastor of the church drives a fifty thousand dollar minivan for their family, people don't think a ton about it. 
But if that same pastor were to drive a $50,000 low-end BMW sport car, uh, it's the same price. Um, but somehow when it was a van, like a not, it wasn't a glamorous vehicle. It was just a, a swagger wagon. It was the van to get the family around, you know, mm-hmm. the Toyota versus the low-end BMW. Same price point, same purpose driving people around, mm-hmm. but there's a different perception that came with the brand. Yeah. Uh, to your first point about the ties thing, that uh, that's, I think, what initially – kind of stirred something within me because basic logic says like, wait a second, we're all supposed to selflessly tithe to the point where it's uncomfortable. And in order to kind of further God's kingdom to, and I'm all for tithing and I'm all for funding the operation of a church and paying a pastor a salary that's not causing him to eat beans and rice. But the basic logic says like, all right, well I tithe and I'm working my butt off to make this money. I'm tithing. And it, it sure does look – and the church is paying this guy a salary, and it sure does look like he's living a better lifestyle than I am off of the money that I'm choosing to donate. I sure wish yeah. he would at least show me that he's not living frivolously. Um, I think that's a common line of questioning for people, and very well it could not be true. Like a lot of these guys say, yeah, he doesn't even take a salary. He makes all of his book deals, which is a whole other discussion that I'm happy to talk about. Um But without any context, it's like, dang, this dude looks like he's living the good life off of my tithes that we're giving to like further the kingdom, not further his, you know, personal lifestyle. And to your second point about the the van and the BMW, I, I totally agree. Like the monetary wise, they're the same. But like you said, brands communicate a message and it's up to us to to determine if we're willing to own that message by owning that, that vehicle. So like BMWs clearly are a luxury brand. And even if you get it used at a good price, you're going to have to contend with the messaging that I have a luxury vehicle instead of a minivan that has a lot of function. And again, like I'm not opposed to luxury brands, but you have, you can't bury your head, head in the sand about what the brand communicates. Like even if it was a gift, you're going to at least have to deal with people saying like, Hey, that's, aren't you a pastor that how much are they paying you that kind of thing or just own it and be like, yeah, dude, this car is sick. Somebody gave me this and it's sick and not be offended when people are like, dude, this seems weird to me. Um, but I, 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 the, the comparison gets brought up all the time and it's basically like brand. I mean, it's the basic definition of a brand, like a brand has an identity, the brand communicates a message. And if you don't believe that, then you should literally buy store brand everything uh, and never pay for a premium brand. Because like if you buy Nike versus Reebok, you're you're signing up because you believe, I think, believe in the message of the brand a lot of times, I think. Yeah, I mean, it, and as you said from, from early in the conversation, it, it does stir up the thing in us. Like it reveals our own contradictions, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, it's easy to point the finger at someone else. Um, and I think it's appropriate to a certain extent for us to have to, if people are in a public leadership role, the scriptures talk about, you know, there's a higher standard that people are called to. So I think there's a, there's a space for, um, question and critique to a degree. 
Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it does bring it up about ourselves and like what we, we, you know, I remember when I bought, I had a dream of, I'd had a dream for years and years of owning a Mini Cooper, <laughs> which is, you know, I, and so that's where back to the story, you know, I, it's, it's, uh, it's owned by BMW. So, uh, you know, it's not a cheap car. Mm. I remember wrestling with the decision of upgrading my crappy car to this the, the dream. I had wanted the Mini, you know, and mm-hmm. I worked in a church. And wrestling with, and and long story short, as I did buy it, um, I paid cash. And Sweet. but it's this it's this moment where you're like, I'm gonna drive into the parking lot and park next to. So I was in a church where you have enough contact. You don't. I didn't know everyone. It's a big church, but you know enough people to know. Like I know the story of this woman who's a mm-hmm. single mom who's struggling, who's a single single elderly gentleman who's you know struggling to take the bus to church. And I rolled up in what isn't the fanciest car, right. but it was a Mini Cooper. So it's yeah. somewhere in between. It's not like a beater. It's a nice. It's a nice car. And yeah. I wrestled with the decision of what that would be for me in my relationship to the congregation that I served. I was on a team of staff. I wasn't the only pastor there, but you know, it's a large church, so we're lots of us on the staff. But, but yeah, it was a. It's a. Even for me, it, I feel the tension and the wrestle of that when I was someone for a long time. Um, but isn't that a donated money as a salary? Yeah, I mean, but isn't that a, a healthy practice for all of us? I think like it to to be buying things frivolously just because we want them and not considering the people that we could or couldn't cause to stumble. I think is foolish. I think it's it's in wisdom to at least try to empathize with people around you. And examine if you're causing other people to stumble. I, I think that's a, a fair expectation for anybody that claims to care or to love their neighbor as themselves. And Mini Cooper's a so, cool car. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't drive it anymore because as time went on, B, um, BMW parts are crazy expensive. Oh yeah. As the as the car got old and, you know, it's like a Honda Civic, like will last for 20 years and they're super reliable. But the, the BM, you know, I'm not, I'm, I don't, you know, have, I don't owe anything to either of these brands, but just the BMW parts, they start to cost huge amounts of money. For sure. I sold it when, you know, repairs became crazy expensive and mm. just didn't make sense anymore. So I, I now I drive a Honda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, but, the parts are a lot but, cheaper. Uh, I had a Civic too growing up. Well, you know what? And I've owned this Honda for like, a, it's a used Honda. I've owned it for a few years and have never, other than oil changes, I haven't had to do a single thing to it because- That's outstanding. Vehicle. I mean, I'm not here to advertise for Honda, but back to <laughs> back to what we're talking about is this, uh-huh. <laughs> this idea of the brands. I'm curious, have you had anybody, maybe you, maybe you wouldn't know, but have you had any of these people you're, you're, you're critiquing someone publicly or at least positioning a question on what they're doing in a public mm-hmm. forum. Um, have you had anyone change their mind? Like, I don't know if that ever happens, but you have a guy say, like, I hadn't thought about it. I actually am going to reconsider the shoes I wear. Have you had anyone come and say that? I don't know. I, I've had a lot of people say that that uh, are maybe lesser known. I don't think I've – I've had a couple of these guys jest with me that – that uh, that I posted about that were basically like, yeah, I was in such and such a store with such and such celebrity and they said I could get whatever I want, but I said no because I didn't want to end up on your account, that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> I don't I don't know. I doubt – I'm very confident none of these guys or girls' lifestyles have changed at all uh, other than like maybe 
some DMs or comments about them. I mean, I I I don't think any of them have really like changed their personas significantly. I I imagine they at least are aware more of what they're posting and understand that if they do post in some super expensive kicks or kicks that are worth a lot, they're probably going to end up on my account. But um, <laughs> none of them have really like confided in me saying, you know what, dude, I really appreciate you doing this. This has caused me to rethink a lot of things. But people outside of them have. I mean, I, I've, I talk to pastors all the time that are like, yeah, this has caused me to rethink what I buy and why I buy it. I mean, it's easy for me to say that and I can't prove it on this podcast, but I have I have DMs upon DMs of people um, saying that very thing to me. Yeah. So, I mean, some of what this comes to, too, is is the context of context. Well, it's contextualization, as in um, we have access through the Internet to um, pastors that aren't our local pastor in our local church in our local city. We mm-hmm. can see through the media forms that we access, like the we don't, you know, pastors that we don't have somebody else's pastor in somebody else's city who somebody else's donation is paying for the salary of, but we can see it as, yeah. you know, peripheral people. So what do you think about that in the digital age? How do we figure out platforms when people can have access to us? Um, you know, who we, like you do too. You have people critiquing you and commenting. You've never met these people, but they yeah. have access to give an opinion in your life. Right. Uh, I think it's part of the deal when you sign up to have an account on social media. I, I don't see any way around it. Uh, if you have a, I mean, you can put your profile on private or you can, uh, block people or you can not have an account at all. But if you're choosing to reap the benefits of, of having a platform, it's kind of part of the deal. I mean, and I've had to have that conversation too with my mentors and people around me when I'm like, dang, this person's comment ruined my day or dang, somebody messaged me something that made me feel terrible. The ultimate thing is like, dude, if you want to be about this, like you, that's, you're going to have to interact with people that uh, are terrible or have misinformed takes or, uh, maybe think differently than you. And, uh, it's, I think the way you work through that is by having people that do know you well, that can either affirm or deny the things that people are saying about you. Um, but you know, being in the public, you're choosing to be in the public. And so it, it, you shouldn't be surprised, nor do I think, uh, nor do I think, we as followers owe them any different, owe us, like I'm in the public now too. So speaking to the people that follow my account too, I don't think I should expect them to treat me in a private way if I'm saying, hey, this is public, please follow me. Hey, let me get sponsorships and brand deals and book deals and all that. But also uh, please can, Please rebuke me of my sin in private, even though everything else in my life is is public. Um, I can't remember if that is answering your question, but that's no, that's, that's where I took no, that it. Is good. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, I think the same thing too. You know, someone <laughs> someone will will have a a word for their own congregation. You know, the one that maybe the Lord has put on their heart a message to mm. speak to their congregation or maybe even a prophetic word for their congregation. Yeah. But the challenge today is, 
so this is in a different direction. The challenge today sure. is that same preaching. Not I'm not even talking about the visuals, the shoes and whatever. Just yeah. their words yeah. can be taken that it was intended for their local people who they know and and work with every day and serve every day. And and now, I mean, it can go anywhere in the world um, and be taken out of context. You know, it's a ch- it is a challenge. And even just the local pastor, the classic thing pastors always say now is you're the local preacher and you're being compared to like the best preaching in the world. Yeah. Everybody sitting listening to you is comparing. It is a challenge in this in this global landscape. So yeah. Um, but I have a couple more things I want to get to, but one of them, you mentioned in here, the book deals thing, the brand partnership thing. Um, you know, as you say, some people, they have products or services, uh, outside of, they have a product like a book or they have a service, like, I don't know, a course they sell online or whatever outside of their church salary. Mm -hmm. Uh, what do you do with that? What do you, what do you teach us a little bit about what that can look like and (laughs) how you wrestle with it? Well, I can teach you how I wrestle with it. I don't know if I can teach you what the truth about it is, but um, I, I think about that a lot. And uh, it's very – I don't buy the retort that, well, he doesn't take a salary from the church. He just makes money off his book deals because he's still getting access to the reach of being a pastor or a, a preacher. So – I mean, there's a lot of different things here. So like if you write a book as a pastor, did you write that book on time that people were tithing to your church in hopes that you were pastoring their church? Did Are you selling that book to the congregation of which you are preaching each weekend? Are you selling that book to other churches that you're going on a speaking tour uh, that you only got that speaking tour because you're a really good pastor or preacher? Uh, I think these are things that we need to ask of our local churches and the things that make me at least concerned because it's if, yeah, sure. If Stephen Furtick wrote a cookbook and he sold and he was a New York times bestselling author because of his cookbook, I'd be like, cool. But if he's selling millions of books, (laughs) if he's selling millions of books as a, under the label of being a pastor, and people say, well, he doesn't take a salary from the church. Well, he sure as heck is taking a salary from the church. He's taking more than a salary from the church because he's selling his books to the people that revere him the most. And then yeah. going around the country and speaking at other mega churches, of which are led by his best buddies. And all these people are seeking these guys for spiritual leadership. Of course, they're going to buy his books. And of course, he's going to make bazillions. And again, I don't think it's wrong to make millions, but I do think it's wrong to leverage your platform as a spiritual leader to make material wealth. And like Proverbs 30 is about a living age, or it talks about uh, asking not to be so poor that you, um, something about sin against God because you're so poor and not to be so rich that you fall into the the pitfall of riches or something. I'm, I'm butchering it. But the, the premise is the proverb is asking to have enough to be content and not be on any of those extremes so that you're caused to sin. I think that's what we should all want out of our lives. Um, but so to go back to your question, I'm not trying to skirt it. I think we have, if I went to elevation in Charlotte, I, I would at least be asking the question, Hey, explain to me your thought process around how this is appropriate, because it seems like you're using your platform to get rich. You have a $1.2 million house or $1.5 million house 
and you say that you make your money off your book deals, but you're selling the book in the lobby. That seems like a fair question to ask. Um, and it really feels like kind of a com commercialization of leading people spiritually. So um, I could go on that for a long time, but I know. Well, and, and even that as you're what, right when you're mentioning the 1.5 or whatever the I don't know what the house is worth, but uh, there's so much contextualization even in that, because, for example, in the city I live in, Toronto, uh, it's like a New York of pricing. So right. for a pastor in Toronto, a one point five million dollar house to live in the city that they serve would be a humble, semi-detached, three-bedroom, 120-year-old <laughs> house that yeah. needs a ton of renovation. Well, maybe it's been renovated if it's 1.5 million. Um, so it's, you know, a mod it's modern on the inside, but the you know, it's old pipes and electrical and crappy little yard and, you know, all to say that even that, that's part of the challenge, I think, of of the contextualization of, you know, a million dollars house in one place, you're living like a king and a million yeah, yeah, dollar house in another place is like the starting entry point for a home in that city. So, I mean, even that is such a challenge when we talk about numbers, yeah. it's easier with shoes to compare than it is with property value. <laughs> yeah. And so and therefore the yeah. salary that you need to live in the city to be able to maintain your family in a city like a New York or a Toronto where I live, you know, it's just crazy. It's how yeah. much cost it is. Um, so in that, like, I think of the, the, the older story that maybe is familiar to people is the Mark Driscoll story where he was, um, amongst many things that happened when his, you know, his ministry, his church all imploded was that it, it came out that they, and, and, and lots of others have, have been known to do do this. It was a, it's a trick of the trade, so to speak. You buy enough books, your church, his church bought enough books, however many thousands to put the book on the bestseller list, which yeah. in theory has to do with, um, you know, then it's a, it's a marketing tactic so that when you get a best-selling book, you know, it helps promote the book and sell more books. Yeah. Um, but also the idea was that the church bought the books and then was going to resell them to their own congregants. But they bought them in bulk, and I don't know, they were sitting in a warehouse waiting to be sold. So they didn't really become a bestseller. The church bought them. Yeah. Um, and then the church used, bought them with tithe money. <laughs> yeah, and they used a service called Result Source, which basically uh, does a bulk order and then periodically makes small orders to make it look like it's individual people buying them because the bestseller lists – monitor, like don't count bulk sales. And so in order, they basically make a bulk sale, but buy it over time. So it looks like individual people buying it. Yeah. The whole book world is, is a whole nother can of worms, I think. Um, but yeah. And I mean, I, I read an article about him when I was researching this book that, you know, right before the church imploded, he was getting paid like 600,000 a year plus a $200,000 housing allowance or something like that. I mean, it's just the numbers were very surprising or shocking. Yeah. yeah. I mean, oh man, it feels like, and I, and I feel the other side of the, I think the, as you've said, if you live a public life, there is a space for public critique. And yeah. also I feel the other side of like, oh, without the local context of some of these things, like, 
Um, you know, I don't know the cost of housing. I mean, I think that is a huge, huge salary, but I don't know the, you know, the cost of housing, the amount of pressure, you know, what, what, whatever it is that yeah. I'm being paid. But, I, do, I do too. I mean, it, and I, I, think, empath- I yeah. empathize with, I mean, now I have a platform that's very similar to some of these guys. And so I, I empathize with it. Like people making judgments about you without the full story doesn't feel great and doesn't feel fair. People treat me unfairly, really grinds my gears. Like I, I empathize with that and I, I'm not completely sure what to do with that, but it all just goes back to like, dude, you chose to put this out there or like you chose to be out there in the public. And like, yes, as, as Christians, we want to you give want people the cake and eat it too. Yeah, exactly. But we, as specifically as Christians, we should treat people with immense grace and understanding and all that. Uh, but there's also another time where it's like, dude, we need to kind of speak truth to some of this if it's, and, but it's all so subjective because it's like one person's idea of what, it, what looks expensive is completely different to another person. So it, it's very, an imperfect, messy set of questions and discussions that don't make me, me feel super great either, but I'm in the middle of it now. Yeah. I mean, there's so much to this about what we're communicating, how we're communicating, how the digital world is played into it. I mean, the last question I want to kind of bring around to this is, uh, basically around the, the wealth and extravagance in the midst of what we're now experiencing, which is a global recession or maybe even a depression economically mm-hmm. around the world where, you know, people, are, the the unemployment rates the are just skyrocketing. Uh, governments are trying to get them under control. Yeah. Uh, what do, in light of the current climate, um, yeah, just what are your, what are your thoughts on Christian wealth in the global church in the global context that we're living, a global pandemic, a global church, a global recession. Are you seeing even in the last couple of weeks, I'm curious, like over the last little while, has there been a shift um, towards humility? I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see what you're observing or yeah. what you think is going to happen in the next six months in the trends. Yeah, I think uh, we were forced to to basically strip away everything that was really unnecessary about church and worship and community and everything. I mean, we, this is a very unique time where everyone knows that everyone else is uncertain, not confident, struggling in one way or the other. And uh, the people that are seen as big, powerful figures clearly aren't exuding big, bold, powerful uh presences because we all know that that would be a lie if they, if they were. So, um, yeah, like the, the, the biggest example I think, or like the, the easiest target for me right now would be like Kanye. Kanye is very confident and very bold in everything that he does was very outspoken about his faith, but we haven't really heard from him recently because I'm sure that he's trying to keep his family intact and trying to keep his business afloat. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and everyone is feeling the same. And then within the church context, every mega church ever, even just here in Texas, can't leverage their massive uh, campuses. All they can leverage, everyone's on an even playing field pretty much, except for maybe production quality and, and stuff like that. But everyone is forced now to do preaching, worship, 
and connecting with each other over digital platforms. Um, and so it's forcing people to, I think, reevaluate what's actually necessary and what was seen as a non-negotiable maybe is actually negotiable. Because I go to a big church here um, in Dallas, and a lot of the things that are expected of a, a big church like this just aren't there anymore. Like just the, the ability to go up there and drink a coffee with somebody, um, we can't even do that anymore. Um, so I think it's forcing everyone to really reevaluate what's important which I think is a good practice. Uh, and hopefully once we come out of this, I hope that there's a, I hope that continues where we focus on what's important, which is worshiping the creator of the universe, depending on him fully and knowing that we can't save ourselves. Uh, even like in the world where there's the most, the smartest, most capable, uh, infectious disease doctors and engineers in the world are also scratching their heads on how to deal with this. Like we need a savior and, uh, there was only one that so far has, has stuck to his word that I know of. Um, and I think that's, I hope people come to know Jesus through this and also wrestle with some of the hard questions about like, all right, if we serve a loving God, why is this happening? I think those are good things for people to struggle with. And ultimately, uh, seek out why they believe what they believe. Yeah. Um, I have um, a prayer that came up in my devotionals this morning. I just want to read as part of our close. Sure. It says, Dear God, I, it's from Henry Nowen, if you know him. It says, I am, so, I am so afraid to open my clenched fists. Who mm. will I be when I have nothing left to hold on to? Who will I be when I stand before you? you empty-handed. Please help me to gradually open my hands and discover that I'm not what I own, but what you want to give me. And the thing you want to give me is love, unconditional, everlasting love. Amen. That's right. So that's good. You know, we, we want to live these open-handed lives to give and receive. And I, I appreciate so much what Preachers and Sneakers is doing um, to challenge us to live more open-handedly to um, to feedback, uh, to critique, to um, considerations about how we spend our money um, and the fleetingness of wealth, which is more in front of us now than ever before, I think, yeah. in our lifetime. Well, thank you for saying that. I, I appreciate you uh, asking such thoughtful questions and having me on your pod for real. This was great. I, I I mean I I, I uh, I'm really glad that we we've been I've been trying to set this up with you for a few months and I love that this is fine which we've had the conversation um, because so much has changed in the world and yeah the tone of our conversation today you know if people want to find you I mean there's stuff coming down the pipe from preachers and sneakers maybe mm -hmm. you can tell us a little bit about that to close this off what can we expect from you in in the next number of months and where do people find more of this? Sure. So um, people can follow me on Instagram at Preachers, letter N, Sneakers, and on Twitter at Preachers and Sneakers without any vowels. I also have a website, PreachersandSneakers.com, and a podcast called The Preachers and Sneakers Podcast, where we talk about some of these things with smarter people than I. Um, and over the next few months, I mean, if we're being honest, uh, the content is probably going to look a little different just because there's way less big church gatherings. And so, mm. uh, content is a little in flux right now, but long-term I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book about some of the deeper questions around 
consumerism and celebrity culture within the church that I hope hope will be helpful to people. And but yeah, Instagram is is probably the best place to kind of see what I'm doing. And um, again, I, I appreciate you having me on your podcast, Joanna. This was uh, this is always a life giving type thing for me to do to kind of examine the things I believe and get your perspective as well, a Canadian perspective. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Preachers and Sneakers, thank you for the conversation. Uh, It's a good wrestle, and I hope you feel the tension of it. I hope you can wrestle with us about what to do about this thing. Just love that conversation. Next up, next episode, we have Paula Ferris. She was uh, a host of Good Morning America on the weekends. She was a co-host of The View, you know, the women's talk show for a number of seasons. And then uh, she left it all. Um, she's doing something entirely, you know, new. <laughs> she left these dream jobs. And so she wrote a book called called out why I traded two dream jobs for life of true calling. She's wrestling through all of the questions about being in the media, what that does to you, um, what it means as a Christian and uh, how we can live our calling in, in the light of a public, uh, public presence, a public platform. You're going to love the conversation with Paula. She's smart. She's thoughtful. And she brings up more big questions about platform and media, all things about what to do in this digital world that we live in. So thanks so much to Compassion and to Wycliffe. Go to compassion.ca slash COVID to donate today. This is a timely donation. If you make it about delivering much needed food and medical care and support during the pandemic to people who are most in need. And of course, wycliffecollege.ca slash word made digital. If you're looking to take some courses online this year, um, maybe you're thinking about how to grow, you're feeling, you're feeling stretched as a leader, challenged as a leader by all of the things that have been brought up in the pandemic, Wycliffe College has content and teaching for you. I want you to check out wycliffecollege.ca slash wordmadedigital. And we'll see you back here next episode with Paula Ferris. It's got a great season ahead of all kinds of amazing conversations. Season four, here we go. Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode, rate it, and share this episode with your friends. Head over to wordmadedigital.com for more free tools and helpful content for creatives and communicators. We love helping you communicate the best news in the world.